This is episode 645 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, 5 Ammo Stockpiling Mistakes You Are Probably Making Right Now. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, this episode is sponsored by the exclusive Prepper Website email group, which allows you to communicate with other preppers right from your email. You don't have to worry about your every link, click, or word being tracked by social media. This email group resides on the same servers as Prepper Website, so you know you can trust it. Other benefits include members-only videos, periodic webinars, and bi-weekly meetups, or online meetups. This is a great value for $20 a year. So for more information, visit PrepperWebsite.net or click the link in the show notes. Hey, I was talking with someone just recently about maybe needing to change the name to the Prepper Website or from the Prepper Website exclusive email group to something else. Because I think sometimes people get, get it messed up with the, the regular or mixed up with the regular email group or email list. So there's the email group and the email list. So uh, anyway, I uh, need to work on that. I don't know, maybe somebody can give me an idea on, uh, on a name to use for the uh, Prepper website exclusive email group. And uh, we'll kind of go from there. Hey guys, before I jump into the article of the podcast, I just want to say, and I, I really haven't been focusing too, too much on this on the podcast um, because I know that the world is crazy right now. But as I have just been paying attention and I have been watching what is going on, I got to say, I don't know if this thing gets put back in the box. And when I say that, I'm not talking about COVID-19 only. I'm talking about all the other things that are going on. We've got, uh, you know, issues with um, with COVID and, and, you know, wherever you fall on the the understanding of that and whatever your thoughts are on that. Then we have the economy and where we are with the economy. And then we have all the other riots and the protests and the things that are going on. And and I know that there are so many people out there frustrated with what is happening. And I just I just have that feeling. There's it's not a you know, thus saith the Lord. It is not anything that I uh, you know, any reason why I believe that. I just wonder if this thing gets put back in the box. And to be honest, I don't know if it does. I think we have we have moved so far over right now. And there's been so much damage that I don't think we go back to our happy normal. Like the, where we were last year, November, you know, December, I don't know if we go back to that. Um, so that's one of the things that when we are paying attention in preparedness, when we are looking at what is happening, that's why I always say we need to be aware, not only in our local situation, but we need to make sure that we are aware of what is going on on our, our national scene, but also on the global scene. All those things begin to play into it. I had someone upset with me on the uh, the exclusive email group. And uh, again, this is where I got confused as well because I thought they were talking about the email list. But uh, they said, hey, it seems like it's getting a little political. And it really wasn't. It was just there was some information that was put out there and people were responding to it because I think people really need to talk about it. And they're like, look, if it's going to go this political, which, I again, I don't think it was, then the, I don't want to be a part of it. You know, please remove me from it. And the thing is, is that you can't just not 
say, hey, I just want to focus on preparedness, and that is it. You've got to look at the whole scene, and uh, politics is part of that. Now, I know that there's a lot of groups on Facebook that, and I am not saying come to the email group and join the email group so you can be political. That is not that is not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that this specific email thread that I believe he was talking about was not very political. But uh, I, there's a lot of groups out there that will say, hey, this is not a political thing. We're not talking about politics uh, because it can go so crazy and it can go so sideways and people get flared up on it. And, you know, people start saying rude things and, you know, there's been groups that have been shut down. I, I've seen groups that have been shut down just because the moderator doesn't want to have to deal with all the, the issues there. I mean, that's not a lot of us in preparedness. It's not our full time job. We we are doing this part time and we're doing it to get the, the understanding and the, the awareness of being prepared out there. I know that there's been people that have closed down their groups just because they're tired of social media. And I've, I've talked about that before. Man, I am at a place right now where I am using social media more than ever to ramp up to spread the gospel. And I that's, that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm going to use it to my full advantage to spread the gospel and to get... I know that you know I'm, this is a preparedness podcast, but I'm just letting you know where I'm at right now. I don't care about all the other stuff. I, am not, I don't even pay attention to that a lot of the time. Right now, I'm just like, well, how can I get the message out there in the gospel? And there's people I know that they're sending me invitations to go to this you know, other type of social media. And then like... Th- those are good and those might be you might be able to build a community out there but they're not going to be as popular as what you have in in the Facebook Twitter and Instagram and um, you know I just I just want to get the message out there uh, of the gospel and so I want to go where more people are and just try to promote uh, Jesus as much as possible so that's what I'm using it for but you know that's that's one of those things where everyone's at is like they're getting frustrated and they're getting fed up with what is going on. And I guess one of the things that we can do is, is uh, or one of the things that I would ask you to like look deep in your heart here, is like what can you do here to, when you're thinking about your family, when you're thinking about people that you care about and people that you love, to make better decisions right now for the future? Because again, I don't think that this goes circling back around. I don't think this goes back into the box. You know, people keep saying the new normal. And I saw someone say, on social media, I don't like the, you know, the, I'm so sick of people saying the new normal, but I think that is where, where we're at. I, I don't think we go, we go back into this, you know, this nice little world where we were in. Uh, we need to live at this heightened state of alert right now. And hopefully it does. I hope I am wrong, man. I hope that, you know, the, the December of 20, uh, 2019, that that is the way things are and the way things go back to and everything is nice and hunky-dory and, you know, things settle down. I just don't know if it goes there or not. So I just wanted to say that as we as we move forward here, because I think uh, the reason the reason I want to say that is because I, I think we need to be thinking long term. We need to be thinking future. And, and if things continue to go the way they are, where society is still moving along, we're not in a true SHTF, the end of the world as we know it type situation, but we continue to go down this hill. You know, where what kinds of decisions do you need to make for your family and, you know, for your livelihood and all those things? You know, how does that play into it? And I'll tell you, some people don't want to think about that because they don't like where they go with it. They don't want to think about it. 
but you got to think about your family. You got to think about protecting them. You got to think about, you know, what are the best moves, moves for you right now? I know people that are saying, hey, man, I got to get out of the city. I got to get further out right now. And that might be, that might be for you. Um, but you need to think about that and, uh, and to consider it and don't shut down all the, the, the news that is out there. I mean, I'm not saying to become a news junkie. Please understand what I'm saying. But I'm saying you got to be aware of what is happening because that helps you to make better decisions. All right, so I'm going to end it there. We're going to go ahead and move into our article of the podcast. It comes to us from askaprepper.com. And the article is entitled, Five Ammo Stockpiling Mistakes You Are Probably Making Right Now. And I got to tell you, I am not a firearms expert. I don't want to be a firearms expert. Um, people always talk about firearms and they want to know, you know, Todd, do you own firearms and stuff? And I always make it a point. I believe we said this on the last, uh, you know, email group uh, online meetup that we had. Um, I just, I make it a point not to talk about, you know, firearms and what kind of firearms I have. But I think it's very important that you pay attention to articles like these and even when we're talking about ammo and stockpiling and and having the the correct ammo and doing it in the right way so there's a lot of great information here i'm going to go ahead and read the article and there's one comment that i want to read because there is a lot of misinformation out there you can go on a forum and you're going to get 50,000 like a firearms forum you're going to get 50,000 ideas about one topic and uh, that's just you know people are very uh you know they're very set in in how they think about uh firearms and where they're at with all of this so let's go ahead and jump in without further ado again coming to us from askaprepper.com five ammo stockpiling mistakes you are probably making right now if you're a prepper chances are you've got a few guns and a bunch of ammo around or maybe you're the kind that has a lot of guns and a huge pile of ammo around Either way, guns and ammo are just one more part of prepping, an important part. Now, how important is something that each of us have to decide for ourselves? It's never hard to convince yourself that you need just one more gun, and you know just which one it is. There are a lot of sweet guns out there, making it easy to justify that one more. Should the proverbial brown stuff ever hit the rotary air movement device for real, those guns may end up being the only thing that keep you and I alive. Of course, I'm not sure how some of my friends are going to use 17 rifles and 39 pistols at the same time, but that's not my problem. I'll leave that up for them to figure out. Now, stockpiling guns and ammo is good, but just because you're stockpiling guns and ammo doesn't mean that you're doing it right. Believe it or not, it is possible to do a few things wrong in this regard. Now, I'm not going to tell you that you should own a particular type of gun or that you should stockpile X number of rounds of ammo. Everyone has their own opinion on that, and mine is no more valid than anyone else's. But there are a few common mistakes I see, which I thought I'd point out to you. First one, as far as quantity goes. Yes, you read that right. I found that it is possible to buy too much ammo, as hard as that may be to believe. The thing is, many of us subscribe to one or two theories. The first is the more the merrier, and the second is 1,000 rounds per caliber. Neither of those is necessarily right, and neither of those will necessarily help us to survive. There are calibers for which the more the merrier makes sense, specifically your main defense and hunting calibers. When it comes to your AR-15 and your hunting rifle, 
especially small game hunting rifle, I can see where there is no point at which you can say that will be enough to last the rest of my life in a post-disaster world. There's just no way of knowing how much ammo any of us are going to need in that situation. But on a more realistic level, how many battles do you think you can survive where gangs are attacking your home? Infantry soldiers carry a basic load of 320 rounds for their rifles, which is considered to be enough for one day's fighting. Do you really think you're going to survive more than two or three days of attacks on your home where you use as much ammo as an infantry soldier? Then there's pistol ammo. One firearm instructor gave the perfect description for why we carry pistols. They're so that we have something to fight with while we're making our way back to our rifles. With that sort of purpose, and with most of us carrying two spare magazines or less, do you really think you'll ever use 1,000 rounds of pistol ammo in a post-disaster survival situation? Yeah, you might use 1,000 rounds in training. I can easily go through 100 rounds in one trip to the range, but that's not from my prepping stockpile. That's practice ammo. Not the same thing. Next, as far as expenses go, if you're buying a lot of ammo like I do, then you need to be looking at how to get it for a more reasonable price. Buying pistol ammo is in boxes of 50 rounds of rifle ammo in boxes of 20 isn't a bargain. So let me say that again. Let me read that again. Buying pistol ammo in boxes of 50 rounds or rifle ammo in boxes of 20 isn't a bargain. I just had to reread that for my own sake there. It's even worse if you're buying it at your local gun range. And isn't that the truth right there, that last sentence? There are two keys here, buying in bulk and buying from a low-cost retailer. Buying 250 round boxes of pistol ammo works out to be roughly 20% cheaper than buying 50 round boxes. Larger quantity boxes or even cases can be even cheaper. Besides, you can often get those larger quantities packed in ammo cans or other moisture proof containers, giving you a little extra bonus for your money. Now, some of the small scale ammo manufacturers will sell by the can at gun shows. I have found that to be about the best deal going other than buying it off of someone who's a little cash short. You're getting the benefit of both buying directly from the manufacturer and buying in bulk at the same time. If you don't trust that ammo for your carry gun, you can at least use it for your practice ammo at the range and save yourself a bundle. So let's talk about calibers. If you're a gun collector, chances are that you've got a lot of different calibers of firearms in your collection. That's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But I seriously doubt that all of those firearms are part of your survival plan. You probably have just a few guns which you consider your survival guns for yourself and your family. Hopefully, you've selected guns that use commonly available calibers, 22 long rifle, 9mm, 5.56, 308, etc. That makes sense. If you ever have to resort to scavenging ammo or bartering for it, but it also makes sense to have some common calibers for your whole family to use. If your wife's pistol is a 9mm because a 45 is too much for her, then plan on carrying a 9mm too. Showing, sharing ammo will save you money and help ensure that you have enough for both guns in a time of crisis. Now my EDC pistol is a 45. I carry that because I'm working under the assumption that if I ever have to face off against a criminal, they'll either be high on drugs or adrenaline. Considering that the 45 was developed for that very purpose, it makes sense for me to carry it as my EDC gun. But my survival gun is a 9mm Glock. That's because my wife's 
survival gun is also a 9mm Glock, but hers is pink. By carrying the same caliber and the same make, we have commonality of both ammunition and repair parts. Not only that, but I only have to learn how to work on one kind of pistol, not two. Both of our survival rifles are AR-15s chambered in 5.56 for the same reason. So let's talk a little bit about storage. Now believe it or not, ammo isn't moisture proof. While it would seem that it should be, with everything crimped tightly together, it isn't. The only ammo I know of which is made to be moisture proof is military ammo, which has shellac over the primer, ensuring that no, no moisture can get in through that vulnerable route. Now, I suppose you could shellac the primers on all your ammo if you wanted to, but I'm not sure if that shellac would flake off in your gun, gun's action while you were shooting, so I wouldn't do that. But you still need to keep your ammo stored in some moisture-proof way, especially ammo in your stockpile, which you're planning on keeping for a long time. The solution is to keep your ammo stored in ammo cans. There's really more to keeping it stored that way than just being tactical. Ammo cans, both the old metal ones and the newer plastic ones, are intended to be moisture-proof so as to keep ammo from going bad. The U.S. Army had them first developed that way during World War II to avoid problems with ammo going bad during beach invasions. Later, the M2 ammo can was replaced by the M2A1, the metal ammo can we all remember as being associated with belted 50 caliber ammunition. That can and those that followed have been used by many calibers, all with the intent of making the ammo easy to handle and keeping it protected from moisture. I figure if it's good enough for the army, then it's good enough for me. So what about where to keep your ammo? Keeping all your ammo in one place can end up being disastrous, especially if that one place isn't where you need it to be. If your home comes under attack during a time of crisis, you may end up fighting from several different parts of the house. That means needing to have access to ammo wherever you are. Worse than that, the bad guys could gain control of whatever part of the house you have your ammo stockpile in. Should that happen, They'll have your ammo and all you have available is what is in your gun and on your person. Spreading that ammo out a bit helps to ensure that you always have some of it available to you. Now, spreading it around means having some of it stored at your survival retreat too. If you think you're going to take your ammo stockpile along with you when you bug out, think again. Ammo is heavy, so even if you manage to bug out in a vehicle, you're going to be limited in how much you can take along. If you have to abandon that vehicle and head out on foot, about all you're going to be able to carry along with everything else in your bug out bag is a couple of boxes. That's not going to be enough. Anywhere you build a cache of supplies should also include a cache of ammo. Not a lot, but enough to restock your primary survival guns. A box of pistol ammo and a few boxes of rifle ammo to replace what you might have used getting to that point makes sense but don't put more in those caches than all than you'll be able to reasonably carry. You won't want to leave it behind for someone else. All right, guys, like I said, good article here. Some things to consider if you are stockpiling ammo, which I think a lot of preppers do. Um, there is one, like I said, one article or one comment, not article. There's 32 comments here. And so ask a prepper over at askaprepper.com. They have a pretty good community. And so there's a lot of information uh, there a lot of people are uh, working in the in the comment section there and providing comments and, and answers and stuff. So there was just one question here 
by uh, someone that says, I have ammo, 38 special, stored in my dresser bureau for about 20 to 25 years. The drawer is seldom opened. Is my ammo still good? So people gave a, a bunch of different comments, but this one that I thought was very interesting was left by Left Coast Chuck. And so I want to I want to just read this one here uh, before we, we end the podcast. So Chuck says, I have some 30 M1 carbine head stamped 42. That means it was loaded in 1942. You can figure out how old it is. I still It still fires very accurately out to 50 yards and somewhat less accurately out to 100 yards. And as much as the firearm itself was intended to be used in place of a pistol, that is reasonable accuracy. None of it has ever misfired. It is stored in an ammo can in my garage. I have some 303 British that is head stamped 57. It is fine ammunition and works every time. It is stored in an ammo can in my garage. I have some 30-06 ammunition that is head stamped sometime in the 60s. It works fine, same storage. Because I have been shooting for almost 70 years and my brother for almost 60 years, we both have a considerable amount of ancient ammo on hand. With all the rounds we have sent downrange, we have only experienced one squib load, and the squib load uh, was responding to someone up above. He fired a shotgun shell at a pheasant, and the round made a less than robust sound as it went off. I could see the shot column flying through the air. It almost caught the pheasant, who had a head start. Examining the cases, we saw a dark ring around the case where the powder had interacted with the plastic in the case. The shotgun shell was from the early 60s when plastic replaced paper holes. I have some of that same lot with the same dark ring and it has never failed to function as I expected. I think that if, uh, just my little commentary here, if I would have seen that, uh, you know, my, my brother's shotgun do that, I don't know if I would have fired it myself. I think I would have got rid of it, but he continued to use it. All this verbiage to say that I don't think, based on my long experience with shooting really old ammunition, that you have anything to worry about. 30-year-old pistol ammunition stored in your dresser drawer is most likely fine. Take it out and look at it. If the cases are green and corroded, I wouldn't use it simply because the corrosion might make the cases not function in your pistol. They may not extract upon firing in a semi-auto and you may have difficulty extracting them from the cylinder of the revolver. If you have a friend who reloads, you might offer it to him. He can pull the bullets, dump the powder safely, kill the primers, clean the cases, and reload the cases with the pulled bullets using fresh powder and primers. If you don't know anyone who reloads, and if it isn't illegal to gift ammo as it is in the PDRK presently, contact your local gun club or shooting range and offer it free to some shooter who reloads. That way the components can be recycled and put to useful purpose. If the brass is clean, then the ammo is still good. If the brass is just tarnished and dark, that doesn't indicate anything. One way I keep brass from tarnishing is I either wear nitro gloves when handling ammo or I wipe it down with a cloth or paper towel when I place it back in the box or load it in the magazine or cylinder. That keeps the greasy acid on your fingertips from tarnishing the brass. I make a special point of this when loading the gun before putting it away. Always remember that even with brand new ammunition, it is necessary to inspect the ammunition before you load it in your firearm. Modern ammunition is made to close tolerance and is carefully inspected, but when making anything at the rate modern ammunition is made, it is possible for a defective round to be loaded. 
I've had acquaintances tell me that they have found rounds with no primer, primer in backwards, bullets with no powder. So just because ammunition is brand new, having just hit your retailer's shelves from the factory doesn't mean that it is impossible to have a defective round. If, when firing your weapon, the sound of the cartridge igniting is significantly different from normal, put the firearm down with the muzzle downrange and step back. Wait one full minute before picking up the firearm. Open the action, remove the ammunition in the magazine, and inspect the weapon thoroughly, examining the bore to ensure that it is clear of obstructions. Some gun riders suggest maintaining the firearm in your hand pointed downrange for the prescribed one minute, Authorities on the subject differ. But a boom suggests that a squid load will blow up your gun. He is partially correct. And so he's referring to the person above. If a bullet is lodged in the barrel as a result of a squid round and you fire a subsequent round, you can't seriously damage your firearm and perhaps injure yourself with flying metal parts. Anytime your firearm makes an unusual sound upon discharge or doesn't function properly, you need to immediately set the firearm down to allow a hang fire to complete. A hang fire is where the powder is doing a slow burn. They don't happen very much these days with modern powder and primers. If you are firing military ammunition from foreign countries, you have no way of knowing how that ammo was stored, and that is where one encounters hang fires in my experience. Reloads from an unknown source are also infamous for delivering surprises. I tried to avoid using never, but in the case of reloads from an unknown source, I will use never. I will never use ammo from an unknown source. If I acquired some, I would pull the bullets, dump the powder, kill the primer, and reload with fresh primer and known powder of known quantities. All right, so a lot of great information, and uh, Left Coast Chuck has some more uh, great advice there that you can always check out. And I do encourage you to do that. Go over to the websites that, uh, that you know, provide the articles that I read on, on Prepper website and go over and check them out. And you learn so much from the comments, not only just from the articles, but the comments provide so much good stuff. And so like always, I'm going to link to this article in the show notes. So it makes it very easy for you to go over to Ask a Prepper and read some of the other comments and, and, and check it out. So it's, you know, it's uh, good information for you there, especially if firearms is one of those things that you're trying to learn more about or you're just trying to up your game a little bit. You know, there might have been some information here that you never you could be a firearm expert. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, Left Coast Chuck here provided some information for you that really helped you out. And so uh, I, that's that's the thing is you always learning, right? We're always learning. We're always gaining information. So again, like I said, that's from askaprepper.com. I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can go check it out. Well, everyone, that's it for episode 645. Hey, to subscribe to the show, make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And don't forget, if you're looking for more preparedness and self-reliant information, head on over to prepperwebsite.com where we link to 8 to 12 articles every day of the very best self-reliant articles out there. We also have pages dedicated to alternative news, firearms, DIY, Bible prophecy, frugal living, and homesteading. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you a free PDF on 25 hand-picked preparedness articles you should read. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.